0: Following message is from your life Gillette series Wilderness Life. This week, Pastor Karen presents part four of this series. Welcome to everyone here in the room. This morning, I'm so glad you're here. If it's your first time here, welcome, welcome, welcome home. To those of you who are watching online, to those of you at the prison, at the jail, we thank you so much for joining us. We are so blessed to be the body of Christ together wherever we are. Now, today we are in the fourth week of this series that we have called Wilderness Life. We've been talking about life in the wilderness. In the first week of this series, Pastor Mike shared with us, and he told us that the way that God comes to us when we're in those wilderness times is not always the way that we expect. Sometimes he comes to us quietly, like a whisper. In the second week, he told us that pain in our lives is not our story. It's merely a part of our story. And that pain can teach us and it can actually reveal our calling. And then last week, Pastor Paul, my husband, was up here and he told us that there is joy in the journey, even in those valleys, when we find ourselves in the presence of God. Now, today we're going to be talking specifically about valleys, but we're not going to start in the valley. We're going to actually start way back in the beginning in the garden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Okay, this is the creation of Adam, the first man. And God takes this dust, it says, kind of like clay molding something out of Play-Doh, and he forms the man Adam. And then it says he breathed into Adam. He filled his lungs, not just with breath, but he filled him with life. That breath was the thing that filled him and gave him life. And then it goes on, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. So he formed Adam, and then he filled Adam, and then he focused Adam. He gave him a purpose. His purpose for life was to tend And watch over the garden. Now, this same progression, forming, filling, and focusing, happens to us spiritually as well. You see, all of us start out spiritually dead. We need to be formed. How are we formed? We're formed as we learn about Christ. Right maybe this was in Sunday school for you maybe it's been as an adult it's this journey of coming to church reading our bibles talking and having spiritual conversations where we learn the truth of who god is we learn the truth of who jesus was and how he is god but he came to earth and he lived on this earth and then he died on this earth and then he came back to life and he did all of that because he loved us so very much, right? So that's how we are formed as we learn about that. But then we come to this point that we call conversion in the church, right? And at that point, that's the time when we make a decision that I want to live for Jesus. I want to accept the love that Jesus showed me. I want to be his. And at that point, we are filled. As we are filled, the Holy Spirit also God, comes and lives inside of us. He fills us. He gives us new life, right? Sometimes in the church, you hear us talk about the old man being gone and the new man. We talk about that when we do baptism, right? Being raised to life in Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and gives us spiritual life life spiritual vitality along with that comes spiritual gifts it comes with power it comes with a peace and a comfort that we don't know unless we have the Holy Spirit living in us and in church we talk about this as being born again having everlasting life but it doesn't stop there there's a third step on this progression and that's being focused as we live for Christ the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he speaks to us of his purpose in this world right our purpose collectively as the church is to share jesus's love with our neighbors is to tell others about this incredible gift of everlasting life that we we have received but it's not just a general purpose we also have a specific purpose each and every one of us has a purpose, a calling on this mission that God has just for you that I can't fill. God calls each of us to a different part of the mission. Now, when we are living formed and filled and focused on God, we call that the mountaintop. You may have had one of these mountaintop experiences. For me, it often happened at church camp, right? You are formed, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are feeling so close to God. You are so focused on what he has called you to do that you feel like you're living on a mountaintop. And there's a reason for that. In the Bible, all through the Bible, we see this imagery of the mountain, the high holy mountain being the place where God dwells, right? And that's why we call this the mountaintop. It's the place when you are close to God. It's the place of life. But there's another place that the Bible also talks about, and it is talked about in contrast to the mountain, and that's the valley. Now, when we talk about the mountain being the place where we're close to God, the place of life, then we talk about the valley as the place where we're far from God, the place of life death, spiritual death. And wouldn't it be lovely if all of us could just live our lives on the mountaintop all the time, all of us so focused on God, so focused on what he has called us to do, that the things of this life, the cares and the worries and the struggles and the relationship conflicts, none of it can get our eyes off of that focus. None of it can pull us down from the mountain and into that valley. It would be lovely, right? We would be a force to be reckoned with. But it doesn't work that way, does it? I'm gonna tell you a story about a valley in my life. It started in January of 2016. And around this time, Paul was serving as a Methodist pastor in Pennsylvania. And I felt like God was saying, It's time I want to do something new with your family. I want to take you somewhere new. And so I said to Paul, can we start praying about this together? I kind of feel like our time here is done. So we started praying together. And after a while, Paul also believed that the Holy Spirit was saying, it's time for you to go. So we told the Methodist denomination. And in the Methodist church, pastors move in June. And so I was certain that by June 12th, when we needed to be out of our parsonage, God was going to reveal this grand plan to us. I mean, I was sure that he just had something so big. I was living on that mountain and my eyes were on him and I was so focused. And I'm like, God, man, if you have called us away from a really great situation, I know there is something great coming. And I thought by June 11th at 11.59 p.m., God's just gonna open this door and this grand plan is gonna come into place, right? And June 12th came and we had no idea what we were doing. We had nowhere to go. We had no job. We did not know what was next. And so we moved into my parents' townhouse, which was lovely, and they are gracious, but I did not like it at all. I was 40 years old. All of my belongings went into their garage except for some clothes and mattresses, which we put on the floor in a bedroom. We were like wall-to-wall mattresses. And I was like, 40 years old, living with my parents, like, this is messed up. I'm not okay with this. But I was sure by the end of June, we were out of there and we weren't. By the end of July, God, you're coming through. Nope. By the end of August, nope. And then my kids had to start doing school on their mattresses in the townhouse, which would have been great, except that I felt like God had called us to this great purpose and then he just left us high and dry. We had no idea where we were going and I started to get frustrated and then Paul had to get a job to support us and it wasn't being a pastor. And I thought, this is not fair, God. This is not okay. And November came and went and December came and went. And by this time, I was completely disillusioned. You see, I was no longer focused. I felt like God had left us. I felt like he had taken us into the wilderness, into that valley, and just get out there. Fend for yourself. I thought, he doesn't even love us. I actually believe that. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. And to say that I had a bad attitude in that year is probably an understatement. <laughs> I was in a deep, deep valley. You see, we have an enemy. When you're fighting an enemy, it's really helpful to know the enemy's tactics. It's really helpful to know that this enemy, he's called the Satan, and he wants us living in the valley, Because he knows that when we're in the valley, we are completely ineffective. And he has a strategy to get us there. And one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible tells us what his strategy is. It comes out of John 10.10 10, and it says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus's purpose, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, that thief is Satan. And we've talked about him before. And there are many places in the Bible that talk to us about who he is, about what his character is. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, it says he disguises himself as an angel of light. Do you know what that means? That means he looks really good, really good. In fact, he doesn't come to us and be like, why don't you take those drugs? They're going to ruin your life and you'll... (laughs) end up in jail no he doesn't look like that right he comes to us and he looks really good and what he offers us sounds amazing but John chapter 8 tells us he has no truth in him none no truth he is a liar he is the father of lies that means whatever Satan speaks to us whatever he tries to entice us with it's a lie it cannot be trusted And then earlier in this passage, John 10, verse 1, tells us that that thief sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold. That means the way that he gets into our lives is very, very sneaky. We don't see him coming usually. In fact, I think that Satan is the ultimate con man. He is sneaky. He is a liar. And he looks really good. But now I want to put this in context because it says that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And I think that those, those words right there have to do exactly with how his strategy applies to us being formed, filled, and focused. You see, his first tactic is to steal us. He sets out to steal our focus from the mission. He leads us away from God by stealing our focus. And he uses a number of strategies, and I don't have time to go through all of the lies that he tells us today, but he leads us into the valley using a number of tactics. Some of these lies that he tells us are lies about God's goodness. Maybe your parent died, and he tells you, God doesn't really love you. Maybe you can't get pregnant, and he says, God isn't really good. Maybe you've been praying for a friend who had cancer and their cancer came back and he starts telling you, God isn't powerful. He isn't really listening to your prayers. And this is how I got taken off of the mountaintop and into the valley because he started telling me, God doesn't love you, Karen. He's left you out here on your own. Lies about God's goodness. We are often most susceptible to them when we aren't getting our way. But he also tells us lies about our identity. You didn't get a job and he tells you, you're a failure. Or maybe you lost your job and he tells you, you will never amount to anything. You are worthless. You're not enough. Or there's this one right now in our society. It's so prevalent, especially among our young people. And Satan is telling them, you don't have to be who God created you to be. You can be whoever you want to be. Recreate yourself being a woman isn't okay, it's not working for you, be a man. Being a man isn't working for you, be a woman. And Satan speaks these lies to us, and he tells us that we can create our identity. And we're most susceptible to these lies when we are feeling disvalued, discouraged, and vulnerable. He also tells us lies about others. He tells us (laughs) He'll never change. She'll hurt you. Don't trust her. He's just like his father. Leave them. Build up walls. Keep them at arm's length. You don't need them. They won't like you. Don't let them see the real you. He tells us lies about these people around us, and we are most susceptible to those lies when we're already in conflict in a relationship. He also tells us lies about self-sufficiency, You don't need God. Do life on your own. You don't need friends. You don't need a life group. Do whatever makes you happy. Who cares how it affects anyone else? They don't matter. Live for you. Be you. And we're most susceptible to those lies when we're too busy. And with those lies, that sneaky, cunning little con man tries to get us from this place of glory, this place where we are on the mountain with God, and he tries to get us unfocused and turning and heading down that mountain. He tries to get our eyes off of the mission, and he's trying to lure us into this valley, and he promises that it is lush and green when you get there. But it's not. That valley is desolate. It is a place of death. And his next tactic when he gets you there is to kill your spirit. You see, once you're alone, once he gets you to start your descent, once he gets you to take your eyes off of that prize, off of God's glory, off of your mission, he next tries to work to separate you from the Holy Spirit. Now, before you start saying I'm teaching sacrilege, clearly there is nowhere we can go where we are away from God's spirit. However, it is very, very easy for Satan to get us to unplug from the Holy Spirit, to get us to separate ourselves from that power that he can fill us with. All he has to do is say, you're too tired tonight. You don't need to read your Bible tonight. And we've unplugged. And once we do it once, it's easier to do it the next time. He tells us, you don't need to pray today. You got this on your own. And so we don't pray. And then we don't pray the next day. And we don't pray the next day. He tells us, you had a very busy week this week. Just sleep in. You don't need to go to church on Sunday. And we unplug. We remove ourselves from the Holy Spirit, from that power that can be working in us and through us. And he gives us all kinds of excuses. And the excuses sound really good. But as good as those excuses sound. If we want to live the rich and satisfying life that Jesus promises, we have to, to stay close to God. We have to stay on that mountain. You see, the valley is when we are far from God. And as soon as Satan convinces us to spiritually unplug, just like your cell phone, that if you don't charge it today, tomorrow it's gonna to be dead, we're the same. If we don't stay in constant communion with God, if we don't stay plugged into his power, our spiritual life is just gonna drain right out of us. And it's gonna leave us useless and spiritually dead. But Satan isn't satisfied with us just being unfocused and unplugged. In fact, he intends to completely destroy us. He wants to destroy our hope. And the longer that we sit in that valley, the more likely we are to lose hope, the more likely we are to become cynical and to believe that God isn't really for us, and he can't do miracles, and he doesn't love us. So maybe you're in a valley. Maybe you are kind of close, but you've just started to get distracted. And your eyes aren't focused on what God has called you to do. Or maybe you are already feeling spiritually dead. You have at some point unplugged from God. And you don't have that spiritual power living in you and working through you. Maybe you are in that valley so deep right now you think, I have no hope. I will never leave this place. I will die in this valley. And there's some of you here who've lived your whole life in the valley. You have never gone up that mountain yet. You're still in that place of forming. And I am so glad that you are here today because we're going to keep talking about this. And we're going to start here by looking at one of the most famous valleys in the whole Bible. And it's found in the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet at a really, really rough time in Israel's history. If you remember in the Old Testament, Israel was the nation that was chosen by God to be his people. God said, I want to be in relationship with you, Israel. I'm going to care for you and love you. And we are gonna be living on this mountaintop and it's gonna be amazing. But what happened? over and over. As we read the Old Testament, the Israelites trickled down that mountain, didn't they? They headed straight for the valley. They headed straight for destruction. They headed straight for whatever pagan rituals and practices were happening in the lands around them. And they got their eyes off of God. And it happened over and over again. And then God would have to woo them back up that mountain and then they would do the same silly things again and he would woo them back and this happened over and over but right now in Israel's history when Ezekiel is called to speak to them they are gone I mean they are so far gone they are so entrenched in living in worldly ways their focus is so off of God that God says they need to go into exile I'm going to let other nations come in and take over my people, send them into exile. They will no longer even be a people. Sounds really harsh, doesn't it? We don't like it when we see God acting like that, but I think I have a way that might help us to understand this, all right? In this room, I think we have a few Broncos fans, right? One or two, okay, one. All right, we have one Broncos fan. I'm gonna talk right to you, okay. All right, so if you are... If you're a Broncos fan and you have children, you raise your children to be Broncos fans. Am I right? Yes, you try. Right. So from the time they are little, on Sunday afternoon and Monday, whenever you people watch football, you put them in front of the TV and you cheer for the Broncos. You buy them Broncos gear. You talk about Broncos stats. They know who the quarterback is. All of this, right? You teach them, if you're under my roof, we are Broncos fans. I know how football works, guys. I may not be into it, but I understand this. Now, just for the sake of illustration, let's just say that someone moves into this neighborhood, and let's just say that that someone happens to be a pastor, and that someone starts talking, oh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they're the best team on planet Earth. Oh, Patrick Mahomes, he walks on water right? And your kid comes to service with you and hears this. And your kid starts to say, huh, that could be a Chiefs fan. And so your kid says, mom, can you buy me a Mahomes jersey? And your kid starts quoting Chiefs statistics. And you are like, what? Who are you? I don't even know you, kid. You are not my child. Out of my house right now. And you send them into exile, right? Because they have forgotten Who they are. They are Denver Broncos fans. And this is what God is saying. People, my people, you are acting like a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Out of here. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 37 and see what he has to say to them next. The Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley. Okay. We just went to Disney. And at Disney, there is this new ride, at least it's new since I was there, called Flight of Passage. It's an avatar ride. And on this ride, you sit on these crazy contraptions are going to put a picture up here for me. Looks kind of like a motorcycle. You sit on this thing, and this thing moves, and then whoosh, this huge screen opens up, and I'm kidding you, not kidding you, it is like as big as this entire room, and on that screen are images of Pandora and Banshees, and you're sitting on this thing, and it feels like you are flying on the back of a Banshee, which is like a dragon for those of us who haven't seen the movie, okay? So I mean, I was there. I was in Pandora. It felt like I was flying, and it felt like this thing was breathing. Like, I don't know how they do it. It's incredible. And I just think of Ezekiel being picked up whoosh by the Holy Spirit and whooshed away to this valley. And I think, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Better than the best Disney ride must have been. This experience that Ezekiel had, except that this experience that he had wasn't Disney ride. It didn't end awesome. In fact, it says he was carried away to a valley filled with bones. Like what? Filled with bones? It goes on. It says, he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. So here's Ezekiel tiptoeing through this valley, trying not to step on these dead bones. And he's probably thinking, like, why did you bring me here? God, this is gross. This is terrible. This is a place of desolation. And it's not just like these bones were dead, right? Is there a deader than dead dead Like, these bones, they were past the flies swarming stage. They were past the vultures picking flesh off of them stage. They were past the rotting in the sun or even the decomposing or even the bare bones stage. It says they were completely dried out. So whoever these people were, they were dead dead. Then he asked me, son of man, can these dead, dead bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied. You all know the answer to that. Now, I totally get where Ezekiel is coming from. God has shown Ezekiel some pretty gnarly visions to this point. He's asked him to do some terrible things and say some awful things to his people. And I think Ezekiel is afraid. And he's like, hm, yeah, I'm going to defer to you on that one, God. I'm going to pass you, tell me. So He does. Verse four says, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message. Just as he told me, suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Now, can you imagine this scene? These bones, probably thousands of people's bones, are scattered across this huge, expansive valley. And suddenly, bones are just flying everywhere, and they're attaching to each other. And then, hearts start beating inside of these skeletons, and livers, and spleens, and all of these other organs start going. And then, muscles and skin covers these bodies. Right? And they become people. And suddenly, there's all of these dead people laying on this valley floor. And you remember when God formed Adam, he didn't just form him, but then he filled him. And I bet Ezekiel's thinking this, what's God about to do with all of these people, right? Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath of the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again so i spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies can you imagine the sound no there's only a few hundred of us here today but we're going to recreate this i'm going to count 1 2 and on 3 everyone in the room is going to draw in the most big dramatic breath you can breathe ready 1 2 <gasps> the sound of thousands of bodies suddenly drawing in this breath. And it says they all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. You see, now he's explaining to Ezekiel what this vision means. In this day and age, at this time, This was a common saying among the Israelite people. Remember, they had been captured by this point. They were living as as exiles in Babylon, being forced to work for the Babylonian government. They were foreigners in this land. They were no longer their own people. They didn't live in their own place. And they felt like they had been completely destroyed. Their hope was gone, just like my hope was gone in that year where I felt like God sent me into exile, where we had to wait on him to show us his plan. I had no hope. But this prophecy, it's hopeful. You see, he will bring them back to Israel. He will breathe new life into this nation. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know, that I am the Lord, I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. You see, in Genesis, Adam was formed and then he was filled with the spirit and then he was focused on tending that garden. These people who are living in Israel, living in Babylon, the Israelites, don't need to be devoid of hope. God's saying, you are my people. I'm here with you. And guess what? I'm going to take you home. I'm going to give you purpose again. You, again, will live in your land and you will be my people. You will have focus. You will live with me on the mountaintop once again. And that's great, right? It's great, Karen, except that this was a vision, It was kind of like that Disney ride, right? I got off of that Banshee thing and I walked back outside and it was 95 degrees outside and my kids started whining and we had to go stand in another line and then right back to reality. This is a vision. It's not real. Except that when God gives visions, they will become real. They are prophetic. And God intended to do this and he did do this. He took his people back and he moved them back to their land and he was their God and they were his people and he did everything that Ezekiel prophesied. So what does this have to do with you and with me? God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. The same God that did that thing for those people, that put new life back into them, that took them back to their homeland, that same God who brought Jesus back to life, that same God will someday resurrect those who live in him, those who believe in him. But it's not just for someday. That same God is working today and he is bringing dead things to life all the time. That valley where the Israelites were, that valley where Satan intended to just destroy them and leave them there with no hope forever, was the valley where God met them. It was the valley where God met them. And that valley where you feel dead is the valley where God intends to meet you. So where are you right now? Where are you? Are you on that mountaintop? Are you living the rich and satisfying life? Or has the enemy tried to convince you that life away from God, life in that valley, is better? We have to remember that the valley is a place of death, Have you been destroyed? Have you lost hope? Or have you been in that valley for so long that just like the Israelites, you're saying, my hope is gone. If that's where you are, there is hope. Because just like God came to that valley and formed and filled and refocused those bones, just like God worked in the Israelites' life and brought them back, that valley, that place where you feel there is no hope, That is the very place where he will meet you. That is the very place where he intends to bring you back to life. There is nothing so dead, not even dead dead, that God can't undead it. There is nothing that God cannot bring back to life. So if you feel like that, maybe you need to be reformed. You need to go back to the basics. You need to read. You need to learn. You need to talk to a mentor. You need to listen to good teaching. You need to show up at church every week and let him reform you with truth. Do you feel like you're dead? Like you've been killed? Like your spirit is lost? All vitality? What parts of your life feel dead? Where have you shut God out? Where are you trying to be self-sufficient? Because when we are unplugged, we lose power. So if you feel dead, you need to be refilled. You need to get plugged back into the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? You pray. You read your Bible. You ask him to fill you. You ask him to speak to you again. Maybe you're kind of close, but he's just stolen your focus. You're just starting your descent, right? Maybe he has stolen your focus. But here's what I want to say to you. That valley, that valley with all those dead bones where he wants to get you, it isn't a place of mass murder. See, Satan is a sniper and he looks for an easy target. That year when we were in exile, Paul was thriving. Paul says it's one of the best years of his life. He's never been so close to God. He was focused, but I was an easy target. You see, Satan saw my weakness, he saw my pride, he saw my vulnerabilities, he saw my brokenness, and he stole my focus. So if you have been stolen, you need to be refocused. Join a life group. Start serving. Ask God to show you, God, how do I fit into this mission? What is my purpose? We need to be reformed. We need to be refilled and we need to be refocused. And here's the really cool thing. That vision in Ezekiel, God didn't come in and go, I'll bring you back to life and I'll bring you back to life and I'll bring you back. No, it wasn't one at a time. God came to the entire valley. He reformed them all. He refilled them all. He refocused them all that rich and satisfying life, it's not just for one or two of us. It is for us. It is for the church. It is for all of us. So I have one last question for you. Do you like being dead? As long as those bones keep lying in that valley, as long as we keep walking down that mountain, guess what's happening? We're just getting more dead. Those bones just keep getting deader. So what's going to change? What's going to change, church? Are we okay with just being dead? Are we okay with not being focused? Or do we want God to come like he did in Ezekiel and breathe new life into Our lives? Do we want God to refocus us as a church? Because I believe that that's what He wants to do here. I believe that's what He wants to do. And I believe that if we open ourselves to that and if we ask Him to come and to move and to reform us and to refill us and to refocus us, that that is exactly what He's going to do. And we will, like that army, come back to life and we will be unstoppable. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that kinda of uncomfortable. I'm gonna ask people to stand right now. If you've lived your life in that valley and you're saying, gracious Karen, I don't even know what it's like to be on the mountain, but that sounds awesome, and I wanna know. I'm gonna ask you to just stand up right where you are. Just stand up. And you know what else I'm gonna ask you to do? If you're like, you know what? I maybe have been there before, but I've been riding that slippery slope down there, and right now I'm on my way to that valley, or maybe I'm in that valley. I've lost hope. I'm going to ask you to stand up with them. If you are saying, God, reform me. Refill me. Refocus me so that I can be on mission for you. Just stand up right where you are, because I want to pray for you, because I believe that God intends to use this church. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come in this place and move in our midst. Dry bones awaken in the name of the Lord. Holy Spirit, reform us, refill us, and refocus us. God, show us what you intend to do in us and through us in our community. God, I pray for each person standing right now. I pray that they would encounter you in this space. And as we go forward, Lord, use them. Fill them, focus them. We praise you, God, because we know that you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's in your son's precious name we pray, amen. Stay standing. I'm actually gonna ask all of you to stand with us now. And we're going to sing this song. This song is like a prophecy that we are singing over our church, over our community. The lyrics are up here. It says, I need a revival. Feel you moving in my soul. Give me that fire I haven't felt in far too long. Holy Ghost, come awaken. Bring me back to the days when wonder-working power was alive in me. We need a revival. The band is going to lead us, and I ask you to sing that with passion. Sing it over each other. Holy Spirit, come and work in our midst.